Uh, we continue our message series called God Never Said That, and in this series, we are looking at things that God either, well, never said, or else that maybe we've taken them out of context a bit. Maybe we've uh, put them into something that God didn't actually say or didn't intend in that same way. And uh, today's is an example of the latter. It's an example of one of those. In fact, today I want to quote to you the Bible verse that I think just might be the number one most quoted verse of people who are not Christians. It comes from Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. It says this, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. You've probably heard the King James Version of this, right? Judge not, lest ye be judged. It's a very common verse to get quoted, right? Because anytime somebody's calling me out for anything, I can say, hey, 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 judge not, lest ye be judged. It's, it's my life. I'm going to live it the way I want it. You can live your life the way you want it, just so you're not really hurting anybody else real bad. But the end of the day, you don't get to judge me, okay? Only God can judge me. You can't judge me. It is not your place. Why don't you kind of stay in your lane, right? We're familiar with this. We're very familiar with this. And, of course, Jesus said these words. I just read you a direct quote from Jesus, right? So we know he said it. What does he mean by this? What, what does this all mean? It's an important question to ask. Because I bet you that every single person in this room and watching with us online has been hurt at one time or another by judgmental words and actions and deeds from other people. Amen? You know what it's like. You know what it's like to be judged by others. I will tell you about a, a day uh, where I encountered some judgment that, that hurt me personally. In fact, this was one of my, my most difficult days in ministry. So I'll start with kind of a downer, but I promise I'll end the service by telling you about a much better day, okay? So we won't stay there. Uh, but this day, it was a day where I encountered in different ways uh, two people, I'll call them Sharon and Sam, names changed to protect the guilty, okay? Um, Sharon uh, was, so this is, uh, I've told you before that at my last church, we went, when I arrived, we were in a very difficult financial place. We had 18 months till we would go bankrupt if nothing changed, right? And 70% of our budget was payroll. The rest went into the building. So there was really only one option, and that was that we had to radically cut our staff. We reduced our payroll by 40%, meant all of us took pay cuts, and unfortunately, we had to lay off a number of full-time people and we would eventually hire again at a part-time, much lower cost level. It was brutal. It was not fun. It was the, my least favorite thing that I've ever done. Nobody gets into pastoral ministry saying, maybe I could do that. No. And I remember it was, it, we were in a, just in the very early days of that, and it was rough because we hadn't rehired much. There was just a tiny handful of us who were, who were leading the church, and so I was sleeping maybe four or five hours a night because we were just going nonstop, just trying to keep the wheels on. And I remember I got in one morning, and, and a little while after I got in, uh, Sharon shows up. And uh, Sharon was somebody I got to know a little bit. Um, she was a person, she had been a pastor of a church of about 30 people, and, and not to judge, but just a church that 
especially in Judge Not Sermon, you know. But um, there's different dynamics, of course. You don't have a whole lot of paid staff in a 30-person church, naturally. And Sharon came in, and she was just irate with me. I mean, she had come in uh, just for the purpose of telling me how terrible all this was. And um, I, I sat there, and I listened to her, and she was just going on and on and on about how unjust this was and wrong, and Christians should never do these kinds of things and whatnot. And I'll always remember that, that she looked at me, and she said, you don't care about people at all. All you care about is money. You don't care. You shouldn't even be a pastor because pastors care about people, not dollars. And it broke my heart. I don't know if it was because I was tired and worn out or whatnot, but I remember tears just came to my eyes. I've never had that happen in that kind of context before. And I, I didn't really have a lot to say to her. I told her that I was sorry for what was happening, but I didn't have any other solutions. And I remember she stormed off angrily. be the last time I saw Sharon. And so it wasn't a great day, you know. After that, it was just kind of, you know, just go through, just get, get everything done as much as we could. And I was, didn't even really have time to think about it that much. And I was driving home, and I was checking my voicemails from calls I had missed in the day. And, and there was a call from, from Sam. So Sharon obviously believed that, I don't care about people, right? Well, Sam is an 85-year-old who believed that I care way more than I actually care, in fact. (laughs) Sam was like a a saint of the church, and he was also a hypochondriac. And he would often tell me a lot of stuff I didn't necessarily need to know, right? And I'm just going to quote his voicemail directly because I'll always remember it. He calls and he goes, Pastor John... You have to call me right away. I need someone to pray with me. I've been to the doctor, and they told me I have an infection in my penis. <laughs> Sam, <laughs> why? Why Why do I? Could, I just, I've been to the doctor. I need to pray. That's all we need to say, Sam, okay? That would have been fine. <laughs> Dandy. I don't need to know the details, okay? All of you, I love you, but I don't need to know all the details, okay? Just remember, if it, you know. And I remember (laughs) clicking out of that voicemail, and I think God gave me a gift. I just began to laugh hysterically (laughs) because it hit me. People do not know me very well. (laughs) They think I don't care about humans or I care way more than I do, right? And that's often how judgment is. We get it wrong, don't we? We think we know so much. We look at other people and we think we've got it all figured out. We think we've got them figured out to a T. And oftentimes we don't. And that's why Jesus says these words. Because judging others can be so harmful. And of course Sam wasn't trying to judge me. You know, but with Sharon or with things you've had, when we judge others, when we condemn others, it can be so painful. It can be so harmful. Judge not, lest ye be judged. I think this may be the number one issue why people who are not followers of Jesus reject the message of Christianity. It's not because they've looked at the resurrection and believe that it's not a historical event. I've found very few of them. It's not so much because they've done serious examination of our creeds and found deep problems within them. I've had very few people say that. But I've heard plenty of people say, 
I don't want to be a Christian because they're just hypocritical, judgmental, mean, angry. You've heard it all before. And we don't have to look super deep into our history to find plenty of examples where the fact is the church has done this. It's truth, and we need to own that. If we're in denial about that, we are not helping. And I'm not saying you personally have done that, but you certainly we've seen it happen. And maybe, I would bet if all of us looked hard enough, there's been times where we'd have to say, guilty as charged. I haven't been as loving or caring. I've been more judgmental than what I should have been. Judge not, lest you be judged. But what does this actually mean? Because if we take it the way that the world often takes it, meaning that you can't say anything about somebody else's behavior, you can't call it wrong, sinful, whatever, we've got a problem, right? Because in that kind of thinking, for example, how does a professor or teacher judge essays, right? You know, (laughs) like, hey, prof, you said that my essay is a B minus. I think it's an A plus. Who are you to judge me? You can't judge me, right? Or, or if I'm driving and I get pulled over, right, you know, hey, officer, here's the deal. I identify as a speeder, right, okay? So for me, 95 and a 65, totally normal, okay? You can't judge me. You can't judge me. Okay, that's illogical, right? I'm being stupid here. Obviously, we all understand why those people have to, people in place of authority. They have to be able to judge. If you can't judge, what do you got? What do you got? I mean, how do we have any truth in this? So just play a quick little game here. Okay, we'll play the can you judge, thumbs up, can you not judge, thumbs down. This is only personal opinion, okay? So I'm just going to say a few scenarios. You just give me thumbs up or thumbs down. The 830 crowd, they did this, so you have to do this, okay, because I don't want them to put you to shame, all right? So let's just say that you're, you're, you come here to church and you see somebody with just a, Really crazy haircut, right? Like, do you judge them, thumbs up or thumbs down? Go ahead and find this and put it out there, right? Okay. What if, um, and by the way, if they're sitting next to you, just keep looking forward. Don't look at them now. It's going to be weird. Don't, don't need to do that, right? Um, let's say that, that that weird haircut actually belongs to your child or grandchild. Judge it then. All right, what if uh, the weird thing about that haircut is that they have a four-letter word cut into the side of their hair right there, right? You're going to, oh, we might feel a little bit different about judgment in this one, right? Or, you know, what happens, take a, a different scenario. There's some random guy at, at work. You don't really know him. Uh, you work at a reasonably big company. The guy's awkward, though, because he's married. You know this. You see it. Uh, but he really flirts with the women a lot at the office, and it's just awkward. Can you say anything to him? We're not so quick to give an opinion now, are we, right? It gets a little tougher, right? Okay, what if not really a random guy, same scenario, but the guy is your best friend. He's in your life group or your band here at church, right, and he's doing this. Mm -hmm. Right, right, yeah. What about, you know, in our... Uh, I don't know. I go on and on with these. Um, But as you can see, it's not easy, right? There's not just a simple answer to this one that's just judge here, don't judge there. We wouldn't come to even alignment on that. But but I want to look at Jesus' words in the context that he said them because the fact is we always are interpreting things. Everything you hear 
you or read or encounter, you are interpreting. I've probably used this example before, but you go out from this place today, you're driving home, you may encounter as you're driving a red octagon with the word stop in the middle, right? When you approach the intersection, hopefully you will stop and then go. The sign will still say stop, but you will stop and then go, right? You know this because rules of the road, right? There's your context, right? That's how we interpret it is through that context. Let's say that after church, instead you were to go out to eat, and you are, you are coming out of the restaurant, and there's a police officer there in uniform who yells at you, stop, what are you going to do? Are you going to stop and then go? Well, then you might be on cops if that's the case, right? <laughs> You're going to become a tackle dummy for the police officer, right? Because why? Well, we interpret it through that situation, right? It's different. It means different things. Even though these are both legal scenarios, the word stop means something different in those contexts. So let's look at Jesus' context here. Matthew chapter 7, um, he had said this, you know, don't judge. A few verses later, he says this in verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but who really are vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. All right, Jesus. So we're not supposed to judge, but I'm supposed to be aware of these false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. That sounds like a judgment to me, don't you think? And how did I make this judgment? Oh, by the way, they act. So I'm not allowed to judge, but I am supposed to deem someone a false prophet if they're doing this. What it, Did Jesus just forget the command that he gave 14 verses earlier? What's, what's going on with Jesus here? Well, in, in fact, even in the previous chapter, he had been talking about hypocrisy, right? He had been talking about the religious leaders and their hypocrisy. He had been calling them out, some might say, judging their behavior, right? So there's something going on here that is much deeper, it's much more nuanced than simply to say you can't ever assess another person's behavior, okay? Because Jesus clearly is doing this. So let's look at the, at the other verses around this. I'm going to read the, the key ones here again and then read the verses right after it. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend... Keep going with me. Thank you. Uh, how can you keep saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see the log in your, in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will be able to see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye, okay? If you don't think Jesus is funny, you've never listened to him before, okay? Jesus is using some exaggeration, right? You know, he's here saying, okay, here's me, I'm John, I've got this, oh, I got this, this log in my eye, right? I got a two-by-four in my eye. Here's the problem I've got. I'm like, oh, there's my friend Chip. Hey, Chip, oh, you got something in your eye. Let me help you here. I need, no, I, I got to get it out for you, but no, Chip, I, I just, I'm having trouble... See, it's a little awkward, right, when I got this thing. In fact, I'm kind of a hazard to others, right, because, I mean, Chip is here, and, oh, I, I see it. Oh, dang it, I can't, right? 
How stupid, right? How ridiculous is this? But yet this is exactly what we look like when we judge hypocritically. The world looks at us and says, I don't want that. I don't want any part of that. I mean, how, how insane is that that a person would be trying to get this little splinter out of my eye when he's got a big old plank in his own? Jesus is saying, we're not allowed to do that. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. In other words, don't pick people apart when you've got your own problem in the same area there. That's hypocrisy. It's wrong. So let's just look at a few, a few um, issues with this. this um, how's the Bible clear about judging? What does it say? In fact, I, one of the things I love to do, I love to listen to other preachers. One of my favorite things because I learn a lot that way. I was, uh, I was reading a sermon by Craig Groeschel, and actually he gave these points. Uh, these are so good, I'm totally lifting them because they, honestly, I couldn't say it better myself. Okay, so he said this. First thing, never judge superficially. Let's be honest. We've all done this. In fact, we may often do this and not realize it. We may see someone who doesn't look like us in the parking lot and we get scared. We may, we don't know anything about them. We just judge them based on that appearance. We may see a person and, and, and something about them we don't like and we may start making judgments and, and whatever it is. It's not good. It's not good. Jesus says this, John 7, 24, look beneath the surface so that you can judge correctly. In other words, there is a time to judge, Jesus is saying, and when you do judge, get your facts right. Don't be too quick to judge. <laughs> Maybe your mom said, don't judge a book by its cover, right? You need to look more deeply. Don't look at the surface alone. Second, never judge hypocritically just like we were talking about with the two-by-four. Romans chapter 1, Paul, is Paul has been calling out like this big list of sinners. It's quite expansive. In fact, most of us would find ourselves at times on this list, right? It's, it's this big old list. And it would be easy for the people in the church to have said, hey, God, you really showed them. Did You really called out all those sinners, right? That was so good to hear that, right? But what does he say in the very next chapter, first one? You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. Why, or when you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself, for you who judge others do these very same things. It's really a stronger statement of what Jesus said, isn't it? He's saying, you don't have any business, you don't have any business condemning people when you're doing the same thing. That, 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 it's right there. That's what it looks like. It's that two-by-four thing. It's kind of obnoxious. But in verse 4, the very next verse, Paul's tone changes a little bit. He says this, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Hmm. In other words, you messed stuff up too. But aren't you glad that when you became a Christian, that the next day when you woke up, there wasn't like a gigantic list of all your shortcomings, and God says, fix them today. <laughs> Whew, that would be rough. Instead, God calls us to continually grow in holiness. 
it's an ongoing process that we're on as followers of Jesus, okay? It's, and it doesn't mean that we just ignore sin, that we downplay it and say, no, no, it's not, that's not what the Bible's saying at all. But it's saying, how does God treat you? How wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you. So maybe we ought to do the same with others. Maybe we'd ought to understand that just as you're on a journey, just as I'm on a journey, that they are too. That doesn't mean that we ignore sin. It doesn't mean we justify sin. But it, it really shapes our attitude towards it, our attitude towards the people, the way that we treat them, the way that we look at them, the way that we speak to them or about them. This is something that is tough for us oftentimes because we tend to judge others based on what they do, and we tend to judge ourselves based on, well, or what our intentions are. You know, we tend to accuse others and excuse ourselves. For example, I might say, well, okay, yeah, last night I may have had three desserts at dinner, but it's okay, I'm going to take a walk next week, okay? It's all good, it's all good. But did you see Sally at the Christmas party? Oh, my gosh. She was just, it was just, it was obnoxious, right? She was eating so much. How, how embarrassing, right? Well, how stupid is that, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm putting her down for something that, oops, here I am. But I look at myself through this lens of grace. What if I was a little more gracious in my approach with others? Here's the deal. Your harshest judgments often reveal your deepest weaknesses. Say that one with me. Your harshest judgments often reveal your deepest weaknesses. Would you let the Spirit of God just go deep with you here for a minute? What are those areas where you find yourself getting most judgmental towards others? Maybe it's a particular person or a set of behaviors or whatever it may be. Friend, there's a good chance that if you let the Spirit of God go deep with you, that there's some roots in some, own, in some evil that you have in your own life there. Maybe not identical, but something in that family. We oftentimes do this, and we don't even think of it this way, but here's why. Because if I've got a problem with something... And I can find someone else that's got a similar or maybe bigger problem and point them out. It feels like the spotlight went off of me and onto them. And that's part of why we judge. But it's not right. It's why we condemn. Because if I can get you to look at that person who's actually a lot worse than me, I'm not so bad. Is that really God's call in my life? Is that really me progressing on this call to holiness that God has in my life? I don't think so. When you judge others, Jesus says, you're condemning yourself. Number three, we never hold the world to Christian standards. This is really important. And we get this messed up sometimes. I, as someone, I should follow Christian standards because I'm a Christian. You should, too, if you're a follower of Jesus. But do you follow standards of groups that you're not even a part of? No. I, I don't obey Chinese laws. I don't really know many of them, in fact. 
I'm an American. I'm accountable to these laws, absolutely. But why would I expect Christian or non-Christians to act like Christians do? 1 Corinthians 5, it isn't my responsibility, Paul says, to judge outsiders, people outside the church. But it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. The reason he says yours is because he's not part of this church in Corinth. And he's talking to the church. He's saying, you are supposed to hold one another accountable, okay? I'm not here calling out every sin that I see in the world. Because if you do that, (laughs) it's all you're going to do. God didn't put you here to be the umpire of sin for society as a whole. Or even just Anderson Township, right? God didn't, that's not your purpose. We don't hold the world to Christian standards. In the very next verse... Paul says that God, that God will judge those who are outside the church. It's not to say that there's no accountability. There is. Every human being has accountability, okay? And, and there's some nuance to this. I can only go so deep in it. Next series, we're going we're gonna to talk about this kind of stuff. We're talking about this grace-truth tension we saw earlier, and we'll go deeper into that, okay? So I know I'm just going to kind of put a pin in this here, come back to it here in the next few weeks. But... <clears throat> Excuse me. But we get ourselves upside down when we're continually trying to hold the world to Christian standards. If we have in my family, we have standards, right? We don't always uphold them perfectly. To be honest, we, we want to, but we don't. But I try to as a dad. It's my job. I try to uphold these things and have my kids uphold them. If I come to your house and you have kids, am I going to hold your kids to the same standards I hold mine? No, not my house, not my kids. Your house, your rules, your kids, right? You know, I mean, and that's not to say that there's not like basic morality or laws of American society, these kinds of things, but it's not my place to come and hold your kids accountable. Don't hold the world to Christian standards. This is probably the number one reason why so many non-Christians have rejected our faith, because we've gotten this mixed up. We've been judgmental and sometimes hypocritical. Christ have mercy on us, sinners. We don't want to push anybody away. We're supposed to be like the light, remember, that attracts them to Jesus. And for me... When I came to Jesus, I didn't have it all figured out. I wasn't having everything like right. It's Jesus who changed my life. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working me to change my life. And it's still happening today. I'm still a work in progress. You hopefully are too, right? And so consequently, it's my job to introduce him to Jesus, to, to help them to come to know Jesus, to, to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that, that God can work in them. It's our job as a church to have the kind of environment where people can come in here and they can hear the good news of Jesus. They can hear the truth. They can get involved in life groups and bands and classes, these things. They can grow in this and they can say, yes, Jesus is changing my life too. That's how we do it, friends. That's how we do it. We've got to get this right. So when Jesus is telling us, do not judge or you too will be judged, he's not telling us that we don't have the right to speak into other Christians' life, lives. But we need to be careful in how we do it, right? Number four, we are to always help restore fallen believers. Always help restore fallen, fallen believers. Why? 
because this will be you someday too. It'll be me someday. Do we all ever get this right? <laughs> no. So when you sin, when you mess up, how do you want to be restored? How do you want to be treated? Do you want people just to ignore it and be like, well, it doesn't really matter? No, you, hopefully not. Because as a church family, we're supposed to help each other grow in faith. But do I want to just be shamed or yelled at or publicly condemned? No, that's not probably helpful. That's not helpful either. That's not helpful either. When someone in the family of God strays, it's like we're saying, we love you so much. We care about you so much. We, we want you to come back. We want you to get on the right track here with, with Jesus. Galatians chapter 6 Paul is talking, and it's kind of inside the family talk, right? Because he calls them brothers and sisters. He's talking to the church again. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burden, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. There's so much packed into this verse. First of all, you notice he says sin, right? He is not afraid to say, yes, something is a sin, right? The Bible's clear about that. It's not wrong to call sin, sin. But how do we do it? Well, he says that godly people should do this. In other words, no two-by-four stuff here, right? <laughs> this is, you're struggling in this stuff, not your place, okay? Let other people handle this, okay? You may feel that you should judge them because that might get some attention off you. Don't do it. Walk away. Let other people handle it, okay? So we, we identify sin. Godly people are supposed to do it. And how do they do it? Gently and humbly. Gently. Not shaming. Not harming. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. This is how we do it. Humbly. Not arrogance. Hey, I've got it all figured out. You obviously don't. Can't believe you're still doing that stuff. Nonsense. No. That doesn't help anybody change. That just makes us mad. We've got to be kind. We've got to be gracious. We speak the truth in love, as Jesus said. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Makes sense. And finally, I love the last thing. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. What if we looked at it that way? When we see somebody who's struggling, what if instead of us seeing them ourselves as, as over that person and it's here us calling them out, telling them how bad they are. What if we saw it as, it's my job to get down with you and to help you carry this thing? That I love you. I care about you. I want God's best for you. So I'm going to walk with you through this. I, I don't want to see you living in that sin because I know that Jesus died for, for you and for me so that we could be better. And, and, and I want, if you're willing, I, I, I want to help you with this. I want, would you give me permission to help hold you accountable? Would you give me permission to speak the truth and always in love? And if it's not in love, will you give you permission to call me out and to tell me where I'm not being loving, where I'm not being caring? We can do this together. We can do this together because Jesus doesn't, well, he didn't put you here alone. He put you here in the midst of a church community so that we can help support each other through these tough times. We're following Jesus' example of doing this all in love. John 1.14, the word became flesh, that's Jesus, made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. You got to have both. If it's all grace, no truth, 
then we just do whatever we want and who cares, right? Well, that's not holiness. That's not God's call. But if it's all truth and no grace, we become very harsh, judgmental, and the world looks at us and says, no, thank you. I don't need that in my life. I told you a story earlier of one of my tougher days. Let me tell you one of my best, but I got to tell you the back story this day. We, I once had a, a worship leader who was very, very gifted, and uh, we got to serve together for a number of years. Um, we became close friends. Uh, just um, God did so many great things through his ministry. So it was an incredibly hard day, the day that I learned that he had a, a, a problem with alcohol that, that none of us knew. It had come forward, I'll spare you the details, but it came forward through some, some bad things at our church. And it was at the level where we were having to consider if, if he could ever be our worship leader again or not. And so I needed, to, I needed to go talk to him about this. We hadn't talked, or he wasn't aware that I, I knew yet. And so I set up a time, I went over, I sat down in his living room, and I just laid it out. Here's what I'm aware of. Is this accurate? Is this true? Well, tell me what's going on. And, and I remember he, he began to cry and he confessed things to me. And, um, and, he, and he asked me, he said, what, is, what does this mean for me and, and the church? And I said, honestly, I, I don't know. Um, some of this is, is above my head. But I can tell you this. If there is any hope for you to be the worship leader at our church again, it's only going to be because you have done a very difficult and serious plan of restoration. It's going to involve public confession because for us who are up here in public, our, our sin hurts everybody. And so we've got to be able to name that and own that for the church because that's part of the responsibility you take on when, when you do this. Um, it's going to involve sobriety. It's going to involve accountability. It's going to involve a bunch, a whole bunch of things. Don't have to get into all that. I said, um, if if you're not 100% committed to that kind of stuff, I'm just going to give you the chance to resign now. Folks don't have to know why. I'm here for you still. I, I love you. I want to help you. But but please, just walk away. Just walk away if you're not committed to this more than anything else in your life. And I remember that, that he sat there and through tears, he looked at me and he said, John, whether or not you let me come back onto that stage ever again, please give me that plan. I need that plan. I need people to help hold me accountable because I, I'm in a bad place. And I don't care if I ever get to lead again, but I need help. And so we did, and, and it was, and, and he would walk this thing out with, with excellence, and, and God would move in it, and, and his life would be changed. And like I said, we started it off with him just telling the church, here's why I'm not going to be leading worship, and here's what I'm going to be doing and whatnot. And I remember that day that it was the best day. It was his restoration day, the day we brought him back. People knew it was coming. It was a full house that day, and people were just buzzing with excitement, so excited for him. I mean, we had been praying for him. We had been walking with him as a church, 
And um, we, he and I, we did a little interview on the stage, and we talked about what God had done in his life and how God was changing him and how God was still continuing to work on him and what he was doing in those areas. And I remember he, he led us in singing, and the last song of the day was a song called Grace Wins Every Time. And I remember the joy just flowing through the congregation that day because God had worked in his life. And, if, and I was so humbled because the character of that church was shown in that time. Because this is a group of people that could have rejected him. That guy has no business doing this. Why would we trust him? He broke our trust. He did this stuff. But instead, they looked at him and said, that's me right there. I'm a sinner too. And he seems serious about this. Let's give him a shot and let's see what the Lord does. Friend, that's the kind of stuff God calls us to. We've got to be honest about sin. But we speak the truth in love. We restore with grace. We always are in favor of restoration and hope and healing because that's what our God does. So I'm going to take a moment and pray. Maybe this has kind of stirred up some things inside of you. Um, maybe you're seeing some judgmental stuff you didn't even know was there. This would be a great time just to confess that to the Lord. We all struggle with it at times. Maybe for you, this has brought up some painful memories of when you've been judged by others. Maybe the Lord wants to work on that today. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God of healing, forgiveness, and hope. I thank you that you are a God of restoration. I thank you that you are the God who watches down the lane for the prodigal to come home, who sweeps the house to find the lost coin, who searches the fields to find that one sheep that hasn't come home yet. Thank you, God, that you never, ever, ever give up on us. Help us to be the kind of people who love with that kind of love. Help us to be a people who are truly a people of grace and truth. People who aren't hypocritical. People instead who are loving and caring, kind, and who are all pursuing holiness together. That's who we want to be as individuals and a church. Lord, I pray that you would just move in our midst right now. We confess that sometimes we mess this up and we judge others in ways that are harsh, that are hurtful, that are hypocritical. We just confess those to you right now in a moment of silence. And Lord, there are those who have been hurt here by the judgment of others. Whether it's hypocrisy, whether it's harshness, whether it's whatever it is. Lord, I just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would heal, that you would touch, God. I pray that, that you would just move, Holy Spirit, that you would move in our midst, that you would bring healing to those hearts, that you would bind up the brokenhearted, Lord, that you would wipe away the tears. God, I pray that you would help us to see you, Jesus, to see you as we pursue holiness, not to see someone who's, who's hateful and mean and judgmental, but instead to see your love and your grace and your compassion, for you are the good shepherd. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.